Now we turn in the Old Testament to Numbers, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, third book of the Bible, Numbers chapter 35, verse 9 through 21. Numbers chapter 35, verse 9, hear the word of the Lord. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, then you shall select cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the manslayer who kills any person without intent may flee there. The city shall be for you a refuge from the avenger, but the manslayer may not die until he stands before the congregation for judgment. And the cities that you give shall be your six cities of refuge. You shall give three cities beyond the Jordan and three cities on the land of Canaan to be cities of refuge. These six cities shall be for the refuge of the people of Israel, for the stranger and for the sojourner among them, that anyone who kills any person without intent may flee there. But if he struck him down with an iron object so that he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. And if he struck him down with a stone tool that could cause death and he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. Or if he struck him down with a wooden tool that should cause death and he died, he is a murderer. The murderer shall be put to death. The avenger of blood shall himself put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. And if he pushed him out of hatred or hurled something at him, lying in wait so that he died, or an enmity struck him down with his hand so that he died, then he who struck the blow shall be put to death. He is a murderer. The avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. Since the reading of God's holy word. Now we turn to the New Testament which will be our sermon text. We'll be reading Acts chapter 2, verse 33 to 41. Sermon text is a shorter section in that larger one, so we can get some context. Acts Acts 2, 33 to 41. Hear the word of the Lord. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. 
Let us pray. Almighty God, our Lord and Father, we pray that the meditations of our hearts, the words of my mouth, will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. For your word is pure and we are not. Help us, O Lord, to understand it, to live according to it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is the last of a sermon series in the book of Acts, the Pentecost narrative beginning at the beginning of chapter 2 of Acts. I don't remember how long we've been working on it. Maybe this is the fifth or sixth sermon. I should have counted. But it is the last one I'll be doing on Acts. I have another topic next week, and then we will be working with Matthew, where Pastor Williams left off. So I'll be picking up Matthew, uh, beginning chapter 8, in a few weeks. But until then, this is the climax of a long message, long only because I stretched out by looking at individual portions pretty long. It's not doesn't take long to read uh, Acts 2, 1 through 41, but this is a... Uh, message with a lot of profound teaching that is worth our time to understand. So this is like, this is the climax of it, and it's quite a climax. You know, this is a, this is a uh, message that Peter gave, which has some really, I would call, abrupt and surprising things in it. And part of it is when he in verse 38 says, repent and be baptized. That word repent is really important. I don't know if you know the history of the Reformation, but the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century, so the 1500s, you could say began with one Greek word. I like to say that. Uh, And it is, you know, maybe it's stretching a little bit, but it, there's, there's one word that really inspired Luther to start thinking afresh about uh, the teaching of the church because the church had built up all of this system of penance. You have to do all these things to acquire the forgiveness and removal of the guilt of your sin. Uh, and so you have to go through steps and do things You have to go on journeys. You have to kneel before certain relics. You have to say certain prayers over and over. This was the church that uh, Luther uh, was born into and practiced religiously uh, himself until he uh, started reading the scripture. And this one Greek word is repent and repentance. Because he said, you know, that's not the same as penance. It's a different concept. It's repent, and it's something you just do, and it's over with. And that opened the gates for him to start understanding Scripture in a fresh way. Well, brothers and sisters, we are the heirs of that insight. And when Peter says repent here, this is part of the basic stuff of Scripture that founds the heart of the Christian faith. And so we need to take this seriously and look at it very carefully. And one thing we're going to see, quite strikingly, Peter preaches the law to these people. 
This is a, if you want to see the preaching of the law, this is it. Uh, and I'm going to explain that as we go, but this is a preaching of the law. Now, every Sunday in our service, the order of our service, you hear the law of God. We, we had it earlier, and then we confessed our sins, and then we, we received the assurance of our forgiveness in Christ Jesus. Um, but the reading of the law can strike terror for those who have not repented. So Peter is doing that here. And part of what makes this so terrible is Peter has said things earlier in our chapter that I might ask to bring you to your remembrance. Verse 17, these are the last days. And God is acting in the last days. Time is running out. The time for repentance is now. Furthermore, there's a change represented by the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And Joel signaled that, as Peter quotes Joel 2 in Acts 2, the sun, in verse 20, the sun shall be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, and it, it is an urgent cosmic upheaval taking place. And we live on the edge of this cosmic upheaval being the conclusion of this world and the bringing in of the new creation, a new heavens and a new earth. We're on the right, we're on the edge of it. Um, and these people are hearing this as those who have crucified their Messiah. This is what Peter had told them in verse 23. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You murdered him. So Peter's sermon is an urgent presentation of guilt to these people. This is what the law brings. The law brings guilt. And it shows you, it's a, it's a, way to see our guilt and need for repentance before the Lord. And then Peter concludes this message in verse 36. This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him Lord and Messiah. This is the one you have crucified. Don't you realize who it is that was crucified? This, this Jesus whom God has made the uh, Lord over all? You could go to another passage of Scripture. He was appointed to be the judge of the living and the dead. Later sermons in Acts make that clear. They have crucified the judge who is raised from the dead and will judge them on the last day. You can see how urgent and scary this is. This is a reality. When Christ was raised from the dead, he was raised to the right hand of the Father and given the place of all rule as judge of the living and the dead. So Peter is preaching this to him, and notice what he says at the end, verse 38. Repent. And be baptized, every one of you. It's almost like no holds barred here. No 
there's no stopping this freight train. You repent. You are on the edge of appearing before the Lord of glory whom you crucified. This Jesus made Lord and Christ whom you crucified. Verse 36. So, is it any wonder, is it any wonder that the response of these people in verse 37 is they are cut to the heart and they cry out, what should we do? Here's what Peter could have said. Find a city of refuge. And the disciples of Jesus won't go after you as the avengers of his blood. That's what Peter could have said, because they are murderers. They have crucified him. It was a murderous attempt. And if they had heard Jesus say, hatred in their heart, and speaking ill of him. Think about the things that were said to Jesus by these people when he was hanging on the cross. Oh, you saved others, now come down. Oh, yeah. That's not likely. They were mocking him. Their thoughts and their words and their actions brought guilt upon them before the one who is their judge. And where they end up on the last day, it's decided by him, this man they crucified. God has made him Lord, supreme judge of all, and Messiah of these people. But Peter could have said, you better run. (laughs) You better run, and you better run fast. Or he could have said, well, go to the temple and offer some sacrifices, and maybe it will help, but who knows? Because frankly, there really isn't a sacrifice for murder. You, read, you heard that in Numbers, right? You put him to death because he can't offer a sacrifice. But who knows? Maybe it'll do some good. You could hold on to the horns of the altar, and hopefully the avenger won't put you to death. Brothers and sisters, times have changed, right? We're not living in a time when God simply winks at sin and says, oh, well, bygones be bygones. This is, not, this is not the judge of the whole earth. This is not the righteous God who is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his righteousness. This is not him. He is not some, you know, he's not going to wink at sin as some sentimental heavenly father. What he has done, Peter indicates in what he tells these people to do. Notice what he says that is just so shocking. Verse 38, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the guy you crucified... You will receive forgiveness of your sins. Someone paid the price for all of your sins, and it's Jesus Christ, the one you crucified. Is this the love and compassion of God? Absolutely. 
world-changing. This is, this is unheard of with the gods of the world. Absolutely unheard of. But here, the genuine God, He's done it by sending His own Son to pay for the sins of all of His people comprehensively. When He was crucified on the cross, you were crucified if you trust in Him. If you repent and are baptized into His name, your sins are forgiven and paid for by Him. This is new. No more city of refuge. No more sacrificial system in the temple. The temple is obsolete now. All that stuff was pointing to Him, and He fulfilled it. He's the sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Day of Atonement. It's taken place. All those sacrifices piled up. All those animals were pointing to Him, and He fulfilled it. And that's what Peter's message is to them and to us. Things have changed. We live in this age now when these things are true of all those who would come to the living God. You come through Jesus and Him alone. In Him alone is forgiveness of sins. Nowhere else. That's what Peter is proclaiming to these people. And yet notice he calls them to repent. This word repent is a very strong word. Repent means that you are deeply sorry for your sin and offending God. You know, repentance is sometimes viewed as, well, you know, you just have a passing moment of being sorry, primarily because you lost something. This is not true repentance. True repentance is a deep regret over what you've done because your heavenly Father has been offended by what you did. And you were heedless of what he thinks. And you did these things anyway. This is why we repent and what true repentance is all about. It's not just remorse for lost privileges. That's what Esau had. If you look at Hebrews 12 and then you go to the Old Testament in Genesis, I think it's 25 or 27, uh, you, you, you read about Esau, he regretted not getting the blessing. But it's all about the blessing. He just, he regretted he didn't get the blessing from his father. Lost privilege. He did not care that he sold his birthright. His birthright made him the priest of the clan made him the representative of God to his people, made him the man that they could look to for help and intercession, uh, that he would intercede for them when they needed prayer. That's what Esau should have been for his people. He should have been a minister to them. And he sold it. Massive pottage. I don't care. I'm not going to do that. But Jacob got it. And then he becomes the heir. But Esau, he just wanted the blessing. He just wanted the stuff. Brothers and sisters, that's not true repentance. He sought that kind of repentance and he did not receive it. So Peter preaches the law. He preaches the law so that these people would know how seriously they've offended God. How serious the breach 
of the law has been. They crucified the Lord of glory. We call this the first use of the law. People who see the law of God and know that they are guilty before a holy God. That's what the law does for us. But but our preaching doesn't stop with the law. Neither did Peter's. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And notice how open-ended that is. He doesn't say, for the forgiveness of this sin that you just did, crucify him. For the forgiveness of your sins, it's a comprehensive forgiveness. All of your sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. He paid for them all with his one sacrifice. And that's what Peter is preaching. He's preaching now the gospel. We can't just hear the law. We have to hear the law and then the gospel. And that's what Peter preaches here. Be baptized into the name of Christ. And that's an act of faith. Baptized into the name of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Faith is implied there. It is very clear Now let me read to you another sermon from the book of Acts. This is Acts chapter 13, verses 36 to 39. Acts 13, 36 to 39. Let me just read this for you. This is Paul preaching. And and there's actually a lot of echoes here from how Peter has just preached in chapter 2. For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his father's. And saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Everyone who believes, everyone who believes, everyone who who trusts in this Christ whom you're baptized into. You have to trust him and believe in him that God has raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. And this is why we talk about repentance being the fruit of faith. It's it's a fruit that has to be accompanying saving faith. You have to be repentant. And notice what Peter also offers them in verse going back to Acts 2:38. Forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) We don't know what that means. You start looking at that and you're going, oh my. (laughs) The gift of the Holy Spirit? New creation glory. The power to live forever. Resurrection from the dead. That's what the, that's what the Holy Spirit represents to us. Jesus had taught us this in John 3. You must be born from above. Everyone born of the Spirit is Spirit. You're born from the Spirit. And if you repent and are baptized, you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Life everlasting and resurrection glory where God dwells in the new creation. 
I picture the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry, this is just a constant mental picture of me. Part of it is I just moved, eh, last June, but it seems like yesterday, from a very dry place. You know, you get 10 years of drought and everything is really dry. And I picture him walking through these dry stubble, and behind him are jumping out of the ground flowers and trees and you know, all the things that inhabit all the birds and all the, all the insects and just life everlasting. Because he was present at the beginning. Remember, the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters. Life came forth wherever he goes. That's what the Holy Spirit is. He's the life giver. That's who's promised to you when you repent and are baptized into the name of Christ. That's who's promised to you. And brothers and sisters, you know, this, this text is sometimes, you know, taken as if you've got to prophesy and speak in foreign languages like those people in, in uh, Acts 2, you know, the Pentecost experience. Well, brothers and sisters, Peter doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say, you will receive the Holy Spirit and speak in foreign languages. What good is that? Notice how the foreign languages come and all the people are standing around going, these people are just drunk. It's just kind of crazy talk. It makes no sense. You have to have preaching. So Peter preaches and explains it. And he brings the word of the Lord to them through the Holy Spirit. Peter is preaching to them through the Holy Spirit that they will receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is promising them you will receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is promising us that he will come to us through this preaching. It's a guarantee that you will receive the Holy Spirit. How do you know? By faith. You know it happens. And then he makes himself known to you. He fills your heart with joy and with the power of sanctification in this life to grow in holiness. He transforms you. You're born again. And then your life changes slowly before you. Oh, not enough. Oh, no. Not enough. Not in this life. You won't be perfect in this life. But there will be a day. <laughs> there will be a day when the Lord Jesus comes, you will be raised incorruptible like Him. Oh, that day's coming. And the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of it. The gift of the Holy Spirit is a guarantee of your resurrection. That's what all this is saying. This is the gospel to you. Brothers and sisters, Jesus has brought all this. And notice earlier, he says, this Jesus received the promised Spirit. He has poured out the Spirit to you. This is a gift from Christ, the one you crucified. The one you crucified gives you the gift. What does he give you? The Holy Spirit. <laughs> Life everlasting. When you're baptized into his name. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is world changing. And that's what Christianity is. This is a message that changes lives. And the world will never be the same after that sermon, after that experience of Pentecost. Everything changes from that point on until the second coming of Christ. And it is guaranteed. 
There's all sorts of stuff going on here. Notice also, promise to your children. We'll have to deal with that at another time. But then Peter has to keep going because, you know, some of these people are hearing this language in verse 38 from Peter, and it seems like they're going, what in the world? This is, this is mind-blowing. You know, they have been so immersed in things like city of refuge and sacrifices that they're going, what is he talking about? So Peter had to go on. Verse 40, with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So he had to keep talking to them. He had to explain it to them over and over and over. And that's, that's because this is world-shattering. Brothers and sisters, I, maybe you understand all this. Maybe you've studied this, you've heard messages on it, you've read books on it. And to you, it's like, yeah, that's kind of obvious. <laughs> well, God bless you. But I have to tell you the truth. There are times when I, I, t- I, I get in a time machine, okay? And I go back to the first century to these people and what they're thinking, and I'm thinking, they just have no idea what just happened. Isn't this great? Isn't this crazy? Isn't this wonderful? And I hope you, you discover that too. Just how wonderful the gospel is, how fresh it is how new it is, how every day you can wake up to these truths and how wonderful they are through the working of the Holy Spirit. About 3,000 people repented that day, verse 41. About 3,000. They were baptized, they received the Holy Spirit, and they repented. You know, the text actually implies there may have been others who didn't. And that's just the way it is. Some people did not respond well to this message. And that's just the way it is. The Christianity kept going without them. The Word of God spread from here on out into the world, into the Gentile nations. Peter implies that, right? This promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself And I'm looking at the evidence of that. He did it. Here you are, on the far side of the world from where Peter was preaching. He called you from afar. People who most of you are not Jewish. You came from whatever background, whatever your your ancestors were doing at the time of Christ. It's all been erased. You've now been brought in to the family of God through Christ Jesus. That's what Peter's preaching. I don't think he understood it fully yet. He's preaching stuff through the Spirit. The Spirit's telling us stuff, and he's, he has, Peter has to kind of catch up. Wait, wait what, did that, what did I just say? <laughs> and that's, that's because the, the Spirit is proclaiming that all the nations will come. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God to us. It could be that you have not repented yet of your sins. It could be that you need to take this seriously. And you think to yourself, well, I didn't murder Jesus. Anger. Harsh words. 
against your brother or sister. Jesus says, liable to judgment, and he's the judge. To you, this is the day of repentance. This is the day you act on this, and you repent. You come to the elders and you ask what you should do. You come to me, and we will help you. We will turn no one away who inquires about these things. For the rest of us who have, by the grace of God, repented, you should be encouraged that the Lord doesn't weigh your repentance and say, well, that's, that's enough. You've repented enough. You've done enough stuff. I'm finally satisfied. Jesus did enough. And God is satisfied. Jesus paid for your sins. And he is satisfied. You live your life as his follower now in joyful repentance every time you sin, coming back to the source of your repentance, feeding on his grace, which he gives you day by day, and in the preaching of the word and in the sacraments. So, brothers and sisters, this is our hope today. This is where you will find the strength to walk in newness of life worked by the Holy Spirit who's been given to you as a free gift. Let us pray. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us with every gift of the Spirit in the high heavenly places through Christ Jesus. Through your grace, O Lord, we have hope and comfort in the midst of this life. We thank you, O Lord, for giving us of your spirit. I pray that we will grow in our love and appreciation of you day by day, turning aside from sin, repenting, and living lives that are pleasing to you, our Father, in gratitude and joyful reception of your grace. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.